Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Glenn Marshall. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Chicago native Glenn Marshall entered the field by pursuing journalism. He is now an established WGN reporter. Today, he'll be sharing his career journey, challenges, and much more. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Lewis Carr, and welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat, where on these podcasts, we try to motivate, educate, and inspire people to live their best life through the journeys of others. And today, our special guest is WGN reporter Glenn Marshall. Welcome, Glenn. Uh, thank you, Lewis, for having me, man. This is an amazing opportunity. I really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, we are so excited to have you uh, to sort of tell us about your journey uh, to where you are now, to WGN. But Glenn, so where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago. I'm from uh, Matheson, Illinois. Uh, it's about 30 minutes south side of uh, Chicago. Um, grade school, high school, everything there. I went to college in Illinois, Northern Illinois University, and I got my start in journalism here in Chicago. So it's like a, a full 360 coming back here to work. So being uh, uh, in the media, was that always a dream of yours? Or did somebody convince you along the way that you run into a waymaker and they convinced you that that's something you should do? Or was that always a dream of yours? No, I definitely ran into a waymaker because my ultimate goal, my dream was to do acting. And my parents was like, we can't support you going to college to be in a theater degree because we don't know what that's going to do for you in the long run. So um, my best friend's father used to always tell me, he's like, man, Glenn, you got, you got pipes, you know, you should do radio. I looked into radio and I saw that radio doesn't make any money. So I just went to school and got into production. And someone introduced me to someone that worked at a local station here in Chicago. And I started an internship there and it was like, you know, you can be a reporter. I was like, okay, sure. And so I started training to be a reporter. And sure enough, after a year after graduating college, I started reporting in TV in Springfield, Illinois. So that was my first job. And how long did you stay in Springfield? I was there for a year and three months. And then I moved to Boston and was there for four years reporting. Then I moved to Atlanta and was there for two years. And I just moved back to Chicago last year. So, uh, well, well, Glenn, you've had some pretty good markets. You know, uh, I, I went to school in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, I have a journalism degree. Uh, but I didn't, you know, want to work in some of them small towns in Iowa, right? So uh, I thought be because I was an athlete, I was going to come straight to Chicago and get a job at WGN or ABC or CBS. <laughs> Clearly that didn't work out for me. But uh, your journey was a, a little different than what I had perceived. You were only in a small town for a year and a half. Yeah, it was not even a year and a half. It was a year and three months. Um and the reason why it was a year and three months is because I got fired from my first job in TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now we getting down to it, okay? I, I, mean, I, I thought no you just springboarded, Glenn. I thought you springboarded to Boston. I didn't you know, know you got fired. Yeah, like I, I got fired. I got fired on my day off, too. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Glenn, what did you get fired for? Um, because my station, I'm gonna be honest with you, I've been through a lot when it comes to journalism. Uh, I've dealt with racism, I've dealt with, dealt with discrimination, all those type of things. When I got my job in Springfield, Illinois, I was literally hired to replace the black man that was retired. And so I was the only black male at the station, far as like production, on camera, in HR, wherever. I was the only black man walking through those halls. <laughs> I dealt with a lot with do doing with that because Springfield, Illinois is not what Chicago is when it comes to the progressiveness. It's totally different out there. The little country is uh, they're very conservative in their ways, and it could be racist. Um, I, I went through a lot of things while I was out there. A couple of months into my job there, my manager came to me and told me, you think you're so big and bad because you come from Chicago. And this is like somebody that's coming to learn and grow. And I was like, I don't think I'm big and bad because when I was big and bad, I'd still be in Chicago. I also didn't take anything. Like my mentors, they always taught me to be respectful, but stand up for yourself. And they were expecting someone to come in and be like a punk at the station, just be the yes guy and take the heat and blows. And it's a certain level to how you're supposed to do those type of things. And I, I followed that way and it just didn't mesh. I had um, the station try to set me up multiple times uh, as far as like to fire me. It got so bad to the point where HR came in. And then the last time that they tried to set me up, it was like, we need to just separate. We need to just walk away from this. And so they let me go. It wow. was uh, really crazy, yeah. So I ended up staying in Springfield after that for another nine months. Uh, my pastor, my pastor got me a job at uh, the church uh, installing toilets. <laughs> okay. Uh, I went from delivering the news to installing toilets. <laughs> and then That's from a little there, different. Be, oh, big, big difference, big difference. And from there, I went to become a uh, rehab counselor uh, for a drug rehab facility in Springfield, Illinois, where I was uh, working with teens. And I did that for like four months until I got the call to move to Boston to report out there. So I've been through some things, definitely been through some things, but it doesn't, it didn't it never stop my journey. So, so Glenn, when you got to Boston, what area of the news were you sort of focused on? So I was what we call a general assignment reporter. So I did everything. It came to sports, politics, uh, community stories, whatever's happened, breaking news. I covered it all. I covered the uh, her, uh, Aaron Hernandez trial. I covered uh, the Boston Marathon bombing trials. I covered the Super Bowls. I've done one-on-one -on -one interviews with uh, Super Bowl athletes, uh, NFL athletes, basketball, NBA athletes. I've done it all in Boston. Wow, wow, congrats. And, and you. now you're here in Chicago. Now I'm here in Chicago doing the exact same thing, except we cover a lot of crime in the morning. <laughs> yeah, Glenn, tell us about that. Uh, and how have you navigated that whole landscape? Because it's not like the safest place for reporters either. No, it's, it's really not like some. I haven't. I'll take that back. I just thought about it. I have had my run-ins where I felt like my life was in, in danger uh, in the field. Um, Chicago is a very interesting place because you see so much potential here, um, but it's clouded by so much of the violence, so much of everything that's going on in our communities. And it's like our communities don't have any help. 
uh, it went for months on end where every single day I was either outside of a police station or I was outside of a hospital every morning covering a shooting or something happening where someone was injured or someone died. Um, in Chicago, our numbers would just be crazy for weekend violence. 60, 70, 80 people shot, 15 killed. Um, one night, uh, Sunday, on a Sunday morning, I'm covering a story, breaking news, 12 people shot at a party. It's like, these are what you would call um, mass shootings. It's gotten to the point where the Associated Press basically almost had to change how they uh, describe a mass shooting in in that existence of that definition of that term because of how many is happening and how much of the violence is happening and how many people are getting killed at one time in situations. Um, in Atlanta, it's like a black community. It's black. Everything is black there. I didn't. We covered shootings. But it wasn't like this. Uh, in Boston, we covered shootings, but it wasn't like this. I don't know what it is that's happening. I know violence is up across the country, but specifically with Chicago, it's just been extremely, extremely crazy with how much is going on. So is the difference between Chicago, Atlanta, and Boston just the, the, the actual larger numbers here, or is there some other difference? I would, I would definitely say like Chicago is a bigger city, so you do have more people, but I still don't give that, uh, I don't use that as an excuse for our violence because at a point in time, Boston went through a very, very tough time with violence back in the 90s, 80s and 90s. You would go through Dorchester, Mattapan, or other communities within Boston and it's like lock the doors and run through the red lights. I'm in a South Loop and I'm driving to work every morning. It's like, man, make sure I lock my doors and I'm gonna look around and run through this red light so I can get to work safely because I don't know what's happening on the streets. Sometimes I wake up and I see police uh, lights flashing and we're on our morning call. And it's like, yeah, such and such happened at this corner. I was like, yeah, I'm looking at it right now from the window. <laughs> I see. Wow. wow. I, I'll go to bed, uh, try because I, I wake up early in the morning to, uh, well, I wake up early work um so i have to be in bed by like 6 30 sometimes and i'll go to bed try to go to sleep and it's like i'm in you know a decent area but i still hear gunshots cars zooming by i had a 17 year old kid just shot in the leg uh just a couple months back at 3 30 in the afternoon right here and this is this isn't a bad area i live right next to uh the bear stadium soldier field it's just like, we don't, I don't know what's going on over here, man. I don't know what's going on in the city, but something definitely has to change with the mentality that it's quicker to pick up a gun than to solve your problems in a respectful way. So how, how does the station sort of balance between the violence and other sort of news that needs to be reported? Uh, you know, we all watch the news and most stations opens up with the violence. So how do they sort of balance that with all the other things? Tell us how that sort of works. So I think like my station does a great job of balancing because we do a lot of stories that's happening in the community as well. We show a different side to what's going on in the community. You have to do that. I have people send me stories all the time, like this person is doing this or toy drives are happening here because of Christmas and we're out there covering it. 
you have to have that balance to show like, hey, it's not just bad here. And then we also ask the hard questions. I can remember getting in front of the superintendent and saying, you know, what's happening? What are you, what is the, what are, what are the reasons for so much violence? Uh, what are, when you talk to parents, what are parents saying? And getting those hard answered questions, um, getting those hard questions answered is very key because people need to understand that, yes, this is a South side, it's a West side situation and all this stuff is happening, but it's affecting all of us. And as you see the past couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of this violence happening downtown. I talked to a mother of a, a child who was shot downtown last week, 13 years old, downtown, hanging with her sister, and gets shot because of all this violence that's happening here. And she's just like, I don't know what to say, but parents need to figure out what's going on with their kids. Know where your child is at and what your child is doing. Like, this is a community issue. You know, back, back when you were young, if you got in trouble, you probably get in trouble at school. Somebody, a parent would talk to you or say something to you. Now, the community is scared of these kids. These kids are running the blocks and the streets, and it's not like they're 17 and 18 years old. We're talking about 10-year-olds that are out here carjacking people, 10 and 11. You're so far away from getting a driver's license, but you're out here doing that. It's ridiculous to me. So, so Glenn, let's, let's pivot uh, for a moment. And let's talk about the industry where social media is so prominent and an awful lot of people look to social media to sort of get their news. How do you guys sort of navigate in that world where you're competing with Meta slash Facebook and then which has so many reporters that are not qualified reporters? How do you guys sort of, you know, navigate through that landscape of news that is being reported via individuals and other outlets through uh, social media versus what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? I'll say this, when I started as an intern in Chicago back in 2011, I had just got a Twitter handle. People didn't know what was going on with Twitter. It was like, yeah, just get a Twitter handle and just had it. Um, now, that is the main way that I connect with viewers is Twitter. All morning, I'll have people telling me, oh man, I love the turtleneck that you have, or oh, I love this tie, <laughs> or that's a crazy story, or you said this thing wrong, or that's not how you pronounce that, that city. And people love to interact. That's the way that we use social media is to interact with people and let people see that we're real humans just like you are. We just cover the news. So a lot of people love to see my dog. So my Instagram is full of my dog, pictures of my dog and things like that. But people connect and know you. So when I'm out in the street, people will take pictures, put it on Twitter, tag me and things like that. It's all about connecting with people and showing that you care now. It's not just let me get in front of this camera, tell you the news, and then that's the end of it. Now we have to connect with you. I have some people that I talk to every single day. It's like, man, this is probably one of my friends, but it's just a social media friend. I wouldn't know <laughs> if I saw them face to face, but I talk to them every single day. It's the craziest thing ever. But that's where we are with technology right now. People want news and they want it fast, quick, and instant. So like if I'm covering a breaking news story, something happened, I'm going to put a couple of pictures up on social media. People will interact with their I'll interact. Somebody may say, hey, I know who was injured in that. I'll get a story from that person there. It's been a lot of times where someone has sent me messages saying, 
I know that you were covering this. That was my cousin, or I know somebody that was there. And I get connected and get the full story from someone that was involved in the situation. And, and Glenn, would you still say that in 2021 and beyond, uh, journalism, uh, especially broadcast journalism, is a viable career for African-Americans? I think right now, post, uh, post-2020, this has been one of those moments where African-Americans have been able to shine when it comes to covering news. Everything that we went through in 2020 was hard on Black people. It's, you, you cannot deny that. A lot of stations has used that to push Black people to the forefront in covering news. Uh, you'll look across the country and see more Black anchors more Black reporters, whereas when I was starting off, I was the only Black reporter at a station. Now you're going to see maybe there's two or three there. When I was in Atlanta, my team was predominantly Black, even though, you know, Atlanta's a Black community. You even look here in Chicago for a while, you didn't see so many Black anchors. It's that every single morning show in Chicago has a Black anchor. Uh, The CBS station has two Black anchors, which is amazing. Your main anchors are two Blacks. And I think that is just powerful. Um, it's that, that those things are really, really good. Now, the money is not what it used to be. I'll be honest with you. The money is not, they're not throwing the, the, the dollars like they used to throw because you're competing with so many different avenues to get your news. Like you were just, we were just talking about social media and things like that. Uh, but it's still a viable career because we need our people to tell our stories. It's just different ways that you can do it now. Like TV can be, yes, working for a local news station. TV can also be going to YouTube and different things like that, doing video podcasts, whatever it may be, covering what it is that you desire to cover. There's so many different avenues out there that you can do it, but we still need us to cover those stories. So so to that point, Glenn, uh, think back to... Uh, your early years in college as a freshman and a sophomore, what advice would you have for young people of color right now who may be majoring in journalism or thinking about changing their major to journalism? What advice would you have for those people? I would honestly tell anyone that's looking to get into journalism to keep a, a humble mindset, to dream big, And don't give up when someone tells you that you're not good enough. Um, You're going to hear a lot of that happen in your career, whatever it may be, even in the classroom. I was blessed enough where I never taken a journalism class. My degree was just strictly in production. I did uh, communications, emphasis on media production. So I learned how to film and do all these different things. Um, But... I would also look at the journalism classes and I would see how they would fight just to get those opportunities to do TV and things like that. Me never taking a journalism class. I'm a reporter at the number one station, number one morning show in Chicago, never taking a journalism class. These are things that you learn as you go. Your career will progress as you go. This is not no one way. And this is how you're going to get there because a lot of times you will hear like, you have to do this, this, and this. That's not the key. Uh, that's not the key to your success. I had a, a job where I went to a small market and then I jumped to a big market after being fired. 
Somebody may be in a small market in two or three small markets and then finally get to a medium-sized market. Somebody may start in a large market. You just never know, but there's like no one way. So you have to be persistent, stay humble, and dream big and just go for yours. And also the other thing that I would tell someone to do is start networking right now. Find people that you see that you you feel like are, are good at what they do and follow them. Uh, reach out to them. If they don't respond, that's okay, but you still enjoy their work. You know, study them, imitate them, emulate them for a little while and then begin, begin to build yourself so that you will know at least something going in. Like I had a mentor here in Chicago I worked at a station here as a producer. I worked Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I was with this guy in a live truck covering stories with him. When he would do the interviews, I'm standing right next to him. When he's writing his story, I'm pulling out my laptop, writing my story as well. He'll look at my stuff and tell me, this is what you need to change. This is what you did good. This is how you can make it better. That's how I learned how to be a reporter, shadowing. So, so, so Glenn, uh, we here at the Waymaker community believes that every successful person has had one or more Waymakers. Tell us about some of the Waymakers that have intentionally impacted your journey. Oh man, I, I'll give you, I could give you so many. I'll give you two, cause we, we I don't want to take your, too much of your time. But uh, in high school, I had uh, my best friend at the time, his big brother, his name is Sean Long. He's a program director for a local station here uh, in Chicago. And I was telling him how I wanted to, you know, go into, go into acting. He was like, definitely do it. Go for it. I was telling him how my parents didn't want me to get the degree. He was like, you can still do it in college. Just do it in your free time. Um, and then when I also told him about the opportunities with, with TV news, he allowed me to get access to people. I'm sorry. About that. He allowed me to receive access to uh different people that's in the journalism field, that's in the media, the broadcast field, and he opened up those doors to show me that, yes, you as a Black kid from the South Suburbs can make this happen, make something happen for yourself. So that's one person. Then the other person I would say is, uh, he's the reporter at NBC Chicago. His name is Christian Farr. I was just telling you how Monday through Friday, I would work as a producer, work on an assignment desk. And then on the weekends, I would literally be in a live truck with him following him, doing stories with him. And then that continues even till now, like I'll have him look over certain scripts and things like that, that I'm doing, even though we're at competitive stations. I was like, bro, I just want to know, like, does this make sense? Can you look at this story and tell me did I do anything wrong? And just having those type of people there that just back you and support you nonstop. And it even goes beyond journalism. It's just like having a big brother to talk about different things that's going on in life. Like, hey man, I'm, I'm dealing with this. I've been there. Don't worry. Or even like when I was broke in Springfield, Illinois, here, man, here's some money. Let me put this in your account. I'm going to send you a couple hundred so you can put some food in your refrigerator or help you pay your bills. Those type of people are very beneficial to your life, man. And they were the way makers because they paved the way for me and they're still pushing. So a, a lot of people, Glenn, asked me uh, to be their mentor. And, and I said, you can't pick a mentor. A mentor picks a mentee. What suggestions do you have for people who are setting themselves up to be a mentee? I think the one thing that you have to be ready to do is, like I said this earlier, is be humble. I think this generation that we're seeing that's coming up beneath me, 
they're not humble and they think that they're always right. Uh, they think that they have everything together uh, and realize that all the feedback that you're going to receive is not going to be positive, but it's all going to be beneficial towards making you something greater. Um, you have to be willing to receive that and you have to be willing to have some doors closing because everybody's not going to want to be your mentor. Uh, I tell this story all the time because it's so funny. Uh, Christian Farr, the guy that I just praise so much, I wanted him to be my mentor so bad because he was one of the only black men at the station that I actually saw. He was one of the younger guys. Christian would blow me off almost every single day. I was like, hey, can I go shadow you? No, nah, man, I'm busy. Or he'll just walk right past me. But you have to stay persistent with these people because when somebody sees that you really care about learning and growing, they see that, they see that potential in you and they don't want to support you. So some people may like they don't have time, but if they're willing to make time for you, you got to make it worth their while. And so that's how you have to think. You have to keep that mindset just like that with uh, finding these mentors. So, so, so let, me, let me ask you this, Glenn. What's the toughest feedback that you've ever gotten, but you had to execute on it, but you just really didn't like the feedback, though? Oh, in Boston, I had uh, my news director tell me, he was like, you're not ready for Boston. You shouldn't have been hired here. You need to go to some small market in New York and then come back to me. <laughs> That's some yeah, tough feedback. Me. That's some oh, tough yeah. feedback. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, I knew that I was ready for Boston. It was like, you just didn't want me here because he didn't hire me. I was hired before he got there. And it's crazy how things work. Like, this is how God works. He, he said all of that to me two months later. He had to resign my contract because the company was like, we want him. Do not mess that up with him. And I had someone from the head of the company call me and apologize to me about that. So like when you get that type of feedback, don't internalize it. Take it for what it is and keep moving. Um, I didn't allow it to stop me. Yeah, it hurt. It was painful because this is a person that should be supporting you. This is the leader of the newsroom. And eventually telling you you suck. And it's like, man, that, that, that's, that's painful. I, I called all my mentors. I was like, yo, I'm ready to quit. They was like, you better not. <laughs> you better not quit. You have people that will do that. And sometimes people will do that intentionally just right. to see how you respond, see how you react. Are you weak? Can you handle it? I'll never be someone like that. I'll just tell you the straight up truth behind something. But some people like to, to, to feed off of that energy. Uh, and you let them. Just let them have that moment. But just continue to do what you have to do to make to prove them wrong. So, so Glenn, as you, as you look forward, you know, talk about some of the things you're hoping to do uh, as you sort of, because you're still young in your career. Uh, what are some of the things you're hoping to do as you look forward? You know, honestly, I've, in my career, I have done basically everything that I've wanted to do. The only thing that I have not done is actually anchored a full show. Uh, but I really don't have a desire to be an anchor. I love being in the community, talking to people uh, and connecting with people. I think the one thing, one of my goals that I have for being here in Chicago is to create something that will have an impact beyond journalism. Um, I see that there's a need for our kids so much. And I'm still trying to figure out what it is that I can do to do that. 
But like once you get to this stage in your career, by this time, you should have done everything that it is that you want to do. So you have to look beyond this. Um, and that's, for me, just impacting the community. I've always said, since I got into journalism, I want to make an impact in the community. And from Springfield, Boston, even in Atlanta, I've done that. And I'm trying to figure out how I can do that here in Chicago. So, Glenn, you do morning news. Uh, what time do you have to get up? So I wake up at 12.45 in the morning, Monday through Thursday, 12.45. Now, I wasn't expecting that answer, Glenn. I, I was thinking like <laughs> 3, 3.30, 12.45. No, sir. Yes, sir, because uh, we, um, we start at 2 o'clock in the morning. My first show is at 4 o'clock in the morning. So how did you train yourself to be able – what time do you go to bed? So I'm supposed to be in the bed at 6.30. <laughs> it never works. 6.30 in the <laughs> evening. Uh-huh. 6.30 in the evening. Is, and it's, it's hard in the summertime because the sun is bright and shining uh-huh. hard. But uh, in the wintertime, it's a little easier because it's dark outside. But I usually tend to get in the bed between 7.30, 8 o'clock, but I'm supposed to be in there at 6.30. But, but, but and, how do you train your body to do that? How do you train and how do you manage your lifestyle to, to do that? So my friends, they, they know, like, after 6 o'clock, don't call my phone because I'm not answering <laughs> unless it's important. I'll text and things like that. But your body, your body's going to tell you you need to rest because waking up at 1245 in the morning and trying to get through a whole shift and be on, because this isn't like I'm behind a computer at 1245 or like two o'clock in the morning. I'm up in front of a camera at four o'clock, four, four thirty, five, six, seven, and eight o'clock in the morning. I literally watch the sun rise every single morning. So you have to be on. You can't you can't look sleepy on TV because people will tell you all the time. I have people like, man, glenn them bags under your eyes. You get any sleep? <laughs> so you you your, your body's gonna tell you, like, hey, you need to rest. I come home after work. I'll take the dog out to the dog park, maybe try to get a, a workout in in the summertime. I will run. After that, I'll hop in the shower and I'll go straight to bed. Take a nice two-hour nap. I'll wake up. That'll give me maybe three, four hours to just chill and relax. And my body's like, go back to sleep. It's time. You're tired. So it, wow. it's, it's tough. I think the latest I've stayed up was 10 o'clock. And uh, 10 o'clock at night. And I had to turn around and be up at 12.45. And my body was like, don't you ever do this ever again. So <laughs> what time do you arrive at the station? You get up at 12.45 to be at the station at what time? So the good thing is, during this pandemic, we have not than going to the station unless you're working inside the studio. I literally drive from my house to my stories. So um, at two o'clock, we have our morning call where we figure out what story we're going to do. And then from there, I get the information, location, the address. And 15 minutes after that, I will go ahead on and uh, drive to my story. And I'm there for the rest of the day. Wow, man. That's tough. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. But your body gets used to it. Like on Thursdays, that's my Friday night. So my friend's like, all right, we're going out. I say, hey, if I don't get at least a three-hour nap, you're not going to see me. <laughs> and, and Glenn, how long have you been doing this shift? Um, So I did this shift in Atlanta, too. So it's going on about two years. 
Okay. Two years. Yeah. I did this shift in Atlanta. In Atlanta, it was a little later. I started work at 3.30 instead of 2 a.m. So I would wake up at 1.45 then. But here it's 12.45, so. Okay. All right. Well, Glenn, this has been absolutely amazing uh, for you to share your journey with the Waymaker audience. Uh, We appreciate everything you do. Uh, uh, we like seeing people who look like us uh, when we turn on the news. Uh, so thank you for your commitment. Uh, thank you for your stories. Thank you for your storytelling. And we wish you the best. And Waymaker will be back to talk to you again. All right. I appreciate this. Whenever you guys want to talk, let's do it. <laughs> All right, then, man. Thank you so much. All right. Be blessed, brother. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Glenn Marshall. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode. 